Good evening and welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. My God, is it good to be back. I've spent the last four weeks on a hiatus of sorts. Mostly just a hiatus from recording. But I still managed to get a lot of administrative work done. Some much needed administrative work. And in the process, I logged in several hundred new calls. Locked and loaded in the Monsters Among Us call bank. All ready for this upcoming season. And I don't mind telling you there's some really good ones in there. But tonight, we kick this season off with a long-awaited special. Tonight's entries all share one theme in particular. Now, full disclosure, I'm not religious myself. Not even a little bit. But as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I do find the ritual of the practice fascinating. And there's no denying the historical relevance. So with that fascination and curiosity in mind, I present to you your Season 13 premiere. Tales of the Cloth. Tonight's stories all revolve around religion. So grab your Bible, clutch your rosary, and say your prayers. Because tonight is about to get a little devilish. Beginning with Katie's story, out of the state of Georgia. Hi, Derek. My name is Katie. I live in Atlanta. But uh, the story happened in Mississippi. This is for your clergy episode. So my dad growing up was a pastor in a Pentecostal denomination. And I don't know if you know much about that denomination, but needless to say, it's pretty wild. I don't associate with religion at all anymore, but growing up, I was pretty uh, into it. And so I couldn't have been older than eight years old. Myself and our small little youth group was on the way to a youth revival. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it's basically like a week-long kind of church worship conference. Um, And we were going to, I think it was in Florida. I was really young, so I don't remember much of it. But on the way back, one of the teenage boys started to exhibit signs of textbook demonic possession. And I was really confused because as you know, like I said earlier, I've seen a lot of things in my life in the church, but this was completely new to me. I mean, he was speaking in a different tone of voice. I mean, straight out of the movie Exorcist. My dad was holding a Bible up to him and he would touch it and start screaming and say that burned me um, and just screamed and, and we're in this big van the youth group um, on the way back from this revival and so we're kind of stuck in this van with him and scared for our lives and then it, this continues all the way on the drive back to the church and then we finally get back to the church They bring him into the church, they pray, and they lay hands on him, you know, if you know what that means. And finally, after hours and hours of praying for him, his eyes stopped rolling back into the back of his head, and he just started crying, and he said, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone. And to this day, I I don't really believe in the 
paranormal. I, I, I do believe in it, but I've never seen anything that would make me believe. But this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I, and I don't think that it was, I mean, I've had the thought that it was staged before, but I don't think that my dad would do anything like that. But I, I literally, I don't have any other explanation for it, except for this guy was possessed by a demon. But yeah, so that's my story. I love your show, and thanks. Thank you, Katie. It's pretty wild stuff. And this is just the sort of call I expected to receive on this special episode. A classic possession story. Now I share Katie's skepticism. All it takes is one good actor to pull off a stunt like this. But that said, Katie also seems a bit perplexed. So I'll keep an open mind here as well. And in doing so, I found myself plummeting down an exorcism rabbit hole, which led me to the following list of qualifications the Catholic Church considers before granting an exorcism. And I am aware that Pentecostal is different than Catholic, but I think most minds lead toward the Catholic Church anytime exorcism is conjured up. Anyway, the male voice you're about to hear is that of Father Vincent Lambert. Vatican-trained and world-renowned exorcist based out of the tiny town of Brookfield, Indiana. But it's not as simple as believing you're possessed and calling an exorcist. The Catholic Church has strict protocols and processes that priests must follow before deeming an exorcism to be appropriate. Exorcists are trained to be skeptics. I should be the last person to believe that a person is possessed. Every other possible explanation needs to be exhausted before I make that determination. The very first step of the protocol would be for the person to have some type of psychiatric evaluation. Those wanting help then have to answer a series of questions covering their psychological history and whether they've had addiction issues. They're also asked if they have had any experience or history of engaging in the occult. Witchcraft, black magic, magicians, fortune tellers, crystals, wizards or game boards. Other questions include, have you ever tried to communicate with spirits, demons or the devil itself? And do you truly want to be free of the evil influences you believe are presently affecting you? Will you do what must be done? Ooh, I happen to know a few of you heathens are in a bit of trouble. That list casts quite a wide net. And of course, that clip courtesy of A Current Affair. Now, it's a great entry, Katie. And what a way to kick off this special episode. So we thank you again for submitting. And to keep the trend going, we're going to stay in the peach state. Because Mike has another one for us. Hey Derek, this is Mike from Georgia. I grew up in rural Illinois. My grandfather was my pastor. So I guess that you would classify this underneath the clergy request that you've been asking for. Um, I've got a couple spooky things. Only one thing that I experienced myself. I was probably about eight years old, uh, sitting in his room, probably telling me stories. Look over at his nightstand and the handkerchief just picks up. Goes around to the foot of the bed around the bed, back over to the other side, and sits down on the other nightstand. Kind of look up at him and ask him, what's going on? He said, that's just the devil trying to scare us. Nothing to worry about. 
so I didn't. Now, I've heard plenty of stories from him and from my mom who grew up in that church. One was he was in his study, studying for probably next week's message, heard an awful noise, runs into the auditorium, and the church that they built, they were still building. They didn't quite have the what we call church pews. They just had folding aluminum chairs. We're just spinning around like in a tornado, spinning and spinning and spinning. Of course, he talks to them as people, casting the devils, telling them that they're not welcome there. And he said all the chairs just fell. Another time, my mom had been in the church, which was not uncommon for the pastor's kids to be in the church. I'm sure they were in there doing something. Uh, Back in the olden days, when the nursery doors were split, they had the top and the bottom that opened separately. Uh, One time, my mom had been walking by, and she told me that she saw someone standing in the door. The top half ran to go tell her dad what was going on. They searched the church. Nothing was there. Another time, uh, I know the church had bought a new refrigerator. The box was still in the basement. My mom and her brothers were down there. The box started moving around like crazy, sliding across the floor. My uncles probably thought another one of their brothers was inside the box. Mom said he ran, tackled the box. Nothing was inside. They have plenty more stories. Hopefully this is something that you can use. Thanks for the podcast. Appreciate it. Bye. Thank you, Mike. I do have one question. Was your grandfather a magician? Meaning, did he do tricks, card tricks, coin tricks, disappearing and reappearing hankies, that sort of thing? I only ask because this sounds like it could simply be a sleight-of-hand trick that Mike wasn't old enough to yet understand. I fell for that once when I was a child. I was grocery shopping with my parents. I believe it was a Kroger. I was probably five or six, and we bumped into a friendly elderly gentleman. Now he saw my brother and I and tried to make us laugh by doing the detached thumb trick. You know the one. You use your right thumb to make it look like your left thumb is detachable. A trick comes standard in the grandfather handbook. Anyhow, my mind was absolutely blown. I legitimately believed he removed his thumb. And I remember pestering my parents the entire ride home. Did he have a magic thumb? Did he have a fake thumb? Is there some ointment or cream he uses to make his finger come off? Five-year-old me really needed to know. And obviously that experience had quite the effect on me. I still vividly remember it to this day. Anyhow, what do you say, Mike? Could it have been a sleight-of-hand trick, or was there something supernatural taking place there? Thanks again for sharing that entry. Now maybe you're sitting there thinking, I have a story that'll be perfect for monsters among us. Well, here is all you have to do. Call our toll-free hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or record a voice memo and email it to monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. Now then, this next entry comes to us from a familiar voice. You might recognize Frank as a frequent caller out of New York. Well, he's back tonight with a call I thought was perfect for this episode. 
Hey, Derek, this is Frank from Long Island, New York. I'm reporting a creepy story that happened to me and my friends a few months ago. Once or twice a week, uh, we go to my uh, friend's church in uh, Manhattan on the west side in the Hell's Kitchen area. We go there to play board games. It's just four of us. And, you know, we, we play in the church area. We set up the tables, you know, just hanging out. So it's pretty cold out that night, and he has the heat on pretty high. It's a really old church, so we usually hear the pipes banging. But there was one sound that, like, made us all turn our head, like, oh, you know, what the hell was that? So my friend, he was telling us the story, like, you know, it's an old church, so sometimes he goes exploring, and there's areas of the church that like, he hasn't even been to yet. Like, he was showing us, like, oh, you see this roof here? That's actually a whole walkway. I haven't, you know, walked it yet because it's pretty dangerous. So he whips out his phone, and he's like, yeah, so one day I climbed up this ladder, and I went to this area of the church. It was pitch black and you know, pretty dusty wood floors and he looks down and he snapped the picture and it looked like it had to be like size 13 bare feet and he showed his feet his footprints next to these bare footprints and it was huge like we don't know like where they came from he says that it, it looked fresh and it, he just took the picture maybe like not too long before Maybe he said like a month or two before that day. I forgot when during the month we were there. It was definitely winter time because I remember it was very cold out. And I was telling him, I was like, yo, we've been coming here playing for months. And like, you're just telling us now that there's somebody walking around this place. He's like, listen, man, sometimes once in a while, you know, I hear weird noises, but I've never seen anybody. This is the first time I've ever seen these footprints. And I asked him, like, does anybody else like work here that maybe took their shoes off or walk? He's like, no, not at all. He's like, it's usually just me cleaning up the church. And usually people that help out, they never come to this area. But, uh, yeah, we still go there and play. And uh, once in a while we hear a creepy sound or so. But uh, I don't know, that's, uh, that's my story. I uh, love the show. It's definitely my favorite podcast. Hope you can use it. Uh, have a good one. Thank you, Frank. We appreciate it, as always. Now it's taking all I have not to try to connect this to Sasquatch somehow. Now I'm convinced with enough digging I can find a Sasquatch sighting inside a church. It's had to have happened somewhere. But obviously that's not what's going on here in Frank's call. But what it does sound like is going on is that someone has made entry from the outside. At best an urban explorer, but realistically someone aiming to stay out of view of everyday life. For reasons only they can know. But why the bare feet? And why such a large shoe size? And I suppose more importantly, especially for Frank's game nights, are they still in the building? Thanks again, bud, for calling in. Well, folks, a lot has happened over the past few weeks, and allow me to catch you up. We're getting ever closer to completing our documentary, Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Brago Triangle. We're aiming for a late spring release. And if you're a Kickstarter backer, we'll be in touch with you soon. Now something super cool happened. An action figure was made based on yours truly. Charlie's Custom Toys did an amazing job on it. So go check out his Instagram to see a picture. 
and the People's Choice Podcast Award that we won last fall finally arrived. Another huge thanks to all those that helped bring that home. And finally, and sadly, we're going to put a momentary pause on our YouTube series, Para Weekly. Full disclosure, it takes many, many hours to produce each episode, and it's just Sarah and I, we simply don't have the time. But we're committed to find a way to have it live on. It'll be back sometime, somewhere, at some capacity. So please keep an eye out. And a huge thanks to all of those that helped with its short but spooky run. Now I'll tell you what won't be ending anytime soon. This episode. I have a full baker's dozen to get through this evening. And here to get us back on track is Larry from Parts Unknown. Hi, Derek. My name's Larry, and I don't know if you might want this for the clergy or not, but I don't know if you um, believe in divine intervention or not, but this happened one year while on vacation in, in Wildwood, New Jersey. My three girls were very young at that time. They were two, three, and four years old, and we were on the boardwalk one evening around 5.30 in the evening, we were um, just strolling down the boardwalk holding our little girl's hands. At that time of day, the rides were not really running yet, so we decided to just take a walk down one of the piers. There was a few people on the pier, but not near as crowded as the boardwalk itself. We stopped to watch the funhouse, as it was about the only thing that was really open at that time. We watched for a few minutes, and as we were ready to go, my wife said, Where's Tracy? She was only three years old. I thought my wife had her hand, and she thought I had her hand. There's no worse feeling than realizing that one of your little ones is lost at a big place like the boardwalk. Well, we panicked and called for while looking around the fun house, and she was nowhere to be found. I was frantically told my wife to look around the pier, and I was going to go see if she wandered onto the boardwalk. When I got to the boardwalk, all I saw was wall-to-wall people and decided to go back and tell my wife that I was going to notify the boardwalk police. I took a few steps onto the pier, and here came my wife holding our lost little girl. Totally relieved, I asked her, where did you find her? She said, I didn't. She said, this nun handed her to me. I said, what nun? She looked behind her and said, well, she was right here. After the thrill of having our little girl back again safely died down a little, I began to question her about the incident. She said, right before I came up to her, a nun with some children around her walked up to her, smiled, and handed our little girl to her. She never said a word, just smiled and handed her to my wife. A nun on a not very crowded pier would be pretty easy to spot, I think, but I never saw her, and my wife never saw her again. It was like she came out of nowhere, handed our little lost girl, and then was gone, her and the children around her. She couldn't have gone onto the crowded boardwalk because I 
would have passed her as that is where I just came from. As we and and we walked around the pier and never saw a nun. That night we realized the miracle that just happened. That evening, how a smiling nun quietly gave us back our lost little girl, then disappeared. We've told many people about that happening and just time to get goosebumps every time I tell the story. Thank you for your time, and I hope you can use this. Thank you, Larry. I'm relieved to hear that the story has a happy ending, and it brings back not-so-fond memories about the time my mom accidentally forgot me at a Long John Silver's restaurant. Relax. She came back. And like in Larry's story, I too had a mysterious helper. A high school-aged girl that worked behind the counter that realized the mistake. But unlike with Larry, there was no mystery, no disappearance, no miracle. No vanishing nun surrounded by children. Just an exhausted mother of three, doing her best. Thankfully, in my situation, we didn't need her. Thanks again, Larry. I really enjoyed it little entry. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. A lot of us listening tonight would drop everything to help someone we care about. We'll go out of our way for others. But how often do we give ourselves that same treatment? This month, BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you that you matter. And therapy is a great way to make sure you show up for yourself. I can personally say that therapy gave me the valuable tools needed to help me deal with difficult emotions in a healthier, more constructive way, rather than pushing them down only to find them boiling over at a later date. And I really believe that therapy can help you too, no matter what you may be struggling with. Now, BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp Online Therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Monsters Among Us listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us for 10% off your first month. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening and back to the spooky stuff. Now, this next one comes to us from the state of Utah. Please welcome Jackson to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Jackson. I'm from Utah, but this story takes place in Vancouver, Canada. I lived up there for a couple of years for religious purposes. And while I was up there, I had a roommate and it was probably around 10 p.m. that this incident occurred. So we were both like getting ready for bed and it'd been probably... 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes after we turn out the lights and we're sleeping or getting ready for bed. And I all of a sudden, like, got this urge to, or this, this feeling 
to just start, you know, saying a prayer. It was it was interesting. And then at the same time, my roommate, he kind of moves around in his sleep and he's like, huh? And he like turns around kind of to lay out the room. So you kind of visualize it. I, my bed was up against the wall kind of horizontally. And then in front of me was his bed, but it was more like vertically against the wall. His feet was towards me and it wasn't a very large room. So he goes, huh? And he's like, did you just tap me on the shoulder? And I look at him and I'm like, no. But as I answer, he turns around and his face was disfigured. It was the strangest thing. I I can't even explain it. I was like, whoa, bro, your face looks messed up right now. And he's like, what? I was like, I look again to like make sure I wasn't like tripping or, you know, just light or I don't even know. But I look again and it was still like that. And after that, we we prayed, I guess, and it went away, whatever it was. But it was just a strange and random occurrence that Uh, I can't really explain, and I've never heard of it actually happening to anybody else where an apparition of some sort kind of attaches itself to another person. It was really weird, and to this day, I, I mean, I can't really explain it. The weirdest part to me was the fact that he felt like a tap on his shoulder. I think that if he hadn't felt that, you know, and I had just seen that, maybe I would have just chalked it up to like, oh, I was just seeing things. But the fact that, like, I got the urge to, like, you know, pray was, like, weird. And then at the same time, he feels something touch him. And then, yeah, it was just a really strange thing. Anyways, Derek, I love the podcast. I've been listening for a while now. And just thought I would share, see what everybody thought. Anyways, thanks. Thank you, Jackson. Now, I agree. Any of these three occurrences, the urge to pray, the tap, and the strange appearance of the roommate's face, could easily be explained away on its own. But, when you combine all three, it almost seems more like a wild sequence of events, rather than three randomly occurring coincidences. Now, whatever it was that went on that night, it certainly seemed like a wild experience. So we thank you, Jackson, for taking the time to share it with us. So this next entry takes us to the Sunshine State of Florida. Please welcome Marie to the program. Hey, Derek. Uh, Big fan of the show. My name is Marie. I'm calling from Florida, and I have a story about shadow people. So a while ago, probably 15 years ago, I was in my early 20s, and I was just finding my way and finding out who I was and getting back to, you know, knowing what my faith was and just going to church and finding God again. And I feel like my faith was tested because one night I was sleeping. I had two roommates. I woke up, looked in the corner of my room, and there was a big, dark shadow. It looked like a male figure with a cloak on and a hood. Couldn't see its face. It was all blacked out. So I thought it was my roommate. And I went, ha ha, very funny thinking he would answer me or leave, but it didn't move. And then I looked out my door, which was cracked open, and I saw my roommate sitting in the living room, and I went, oh, crap. So I closed my eyes real tight, and then I opened my eyes again, and the shadow was laying directly on top of me, but, like, 
floating over me, parallel to me, right over me. I remember my hands were to my side and I couldn't move. I could not move. I was like paralyzed. So I started singing these hymns in my head and songs that I had learned in church as a kid. And I kept saying, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And eventually, I mean, it went away and I fell asleep. In the morning, I called my mom, who is very spiritually sensitive, and so am I for that matter. She had me fill up a cup, a glass with water, regular water, put it on top of my counter, and then she had me pray and ask God to get all of the bad things off of me. And as I'm praying, I'm like taking my hands and putting them from the top of my head down to the bottom of my feet, and then like flinging the bad energy into the cup. And I swear to you, within seconds, that cup filled up with bubbles. And I kept going and going and telling things that, you know, only good things are allowed here. Nothing bad is allowed here. I believe in God. When I was done doing that and praying and the cup was completely filled with bubbles, I had to take the cup outside, be sure not to spill it, and then literally dump it in the street, like in the gutter, down down the sewer. My mom made me dump it. So I really feel like my faith was being tested. That did not happen again, though I have seen shadow people again and other things. But I will call back and let you know about that. But thank you for listening to my story. Thanks for the awesome podcast. And I hope this gave you the creeps like it did for me. Bye-bye. Thank you, Marie. Now, as terrifying as it was, it sounds like that first experience might have just been sleep paralysis. The telltale signs seem to be there. But the cup of negativity, I've never heard of that. It almost sounds like some Appalachian magic. And speaking of Appalachian magic, I tried every remedy sent to me by listeners to get rid of this pesky wart on my thumb. I'm sad to report that not a one of them did any good. I finally had to rely on the magic of a dermatologist and a can of industrial freezing agent. But for any and all keeping tabs on the little fella, I'm happy to report that he's finally passed on. But in regards to Marie's mystery cup, let me know if this is a practice that you are familiar with. I'll swing back by this subject at a later date. But until then, thanks again, Marie, for sharing. Warmer weather is right around the corner. Make sure you have the latest in Monsters Among Us t-shirt wear to rock this summer. Just visit our shop at monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop. And boy, do we appreciate that support. So this next one seems to be something straight out of the town of Derry, Maine. But instead comes to us from my home state of Ohio. Jesse, welcome to the program. Hey Derek, this is Jesse from Akron calling. I'm binging through all your episodes. I've called a few times. Every episode's just bringing back memories of things that have happened to me in my life, so... Uh, I can't wait to hear him shared, but just a few years ago, I'm a teacher, but on the side, I do some work at a church that my mom has worked at for years. I do setups for events that they do, really nice people, and one of the things that they do every year, one of their events, is that 
They host a giant garage sale, I guess you would call it, scrap sale, something like that, where all the members of their church bring in everything that they can, clothes and kitchenware. They literally, I mean, it's huge. They break it down by room. There's room for electronics. There's a room for books. There's a room for clothing, yada, yada, yada. It fills the entire church, and it's a it's a pretty large piece of property. And every year there's there's something that's, you know, great to get that something that's priced crazy that should be much more expensive and there's just like hidden treasures throughout it working there people who work at the church get to go in a day early before they release it to the public and they get to buy you know whatever it is that they want to do before they open it up the next day and so all of the money goes to like a homeless shelter i believe and to missions overseas things like that So my job typically happens at night when I do my setups. I go in after services are over. Typically, whenever I go in, I'm the only person in the church, and I'm there between 8 or 9 p.m., always after dark. So the one night I went in, I'm setting up a couple of things, and I just want to get a look at what is going to be set out for the staff members the next day. So I'm looking through the books, I'm trying to find anything good, I'm looking through like the jewelry room and things like that, just so that I can kind of have a mental note of where I want to go the next day to be first in line to get first dibs. And I'm in a side room, which is usually like a fellowship hall, and it's all books and movies and things like that. And I look through, I don't really find anything that I like, it's probably like 10 o'clock at this point, I've done my work, I'm on my way out, and as I'm walking out, I hear a book fall. And it sounds like it's probably like a, I don't know, like a Harry Potter size type book or something. It, it sounded hefty. So I go in and I'm looking around. I, I don't see a book anywhere, but I definitely heard it fall. And I'm just kind of like, okay, well, that's weird because I'm, I'm a skeptic, as I've said in some of my other calls. And as I walk out, I turn to the right. All my lights are out and everything because, you know, I, I operate pretty much with all the lights out because anything I turn on, I have to turn off whenever I leave. And I can see pretty well regardless of that. And so as I walk out of the fellowship hall, the main doors are directly to the left of the door where I'm at. So I'm just about to walk out the door for the night and head home. And I happen to glance to my right and out of this long hallway, the hallway is about 75 feet long that leads down to their sanctuary, floats this red single balloon. And it's floating, not like up at the ceiling, like it's almost like it's lost some of its helium. It's floating directly at eye level with me. And it rounds the corner out of this hallway and starts floating towards me. Now, I'm in the welcome center room, which is a wide open, very large room. It's got, like, couches in it and stuff. It's probably, like, 30 by 50 feet in size, I would guess, uh, give or take 10 feet. And this thing's floating directly to me. Not fast, It's just, but it's weird. And there's no balloons up in, like, celebration of the sale. Like, there's nothing like that where there's, like, there's not balloons outside. There's no balloons inside. There's no balloons. Like, I don't know where this is coming from. I'm in the middle of a weird, like, it's a church. There's no balloons anywhere. So I'm looking at it, and I'm a skeptic, so I'm staring at it a little bit. But eventually, like, it freaks me out too much between the book and that. I'm like, nope, screw it. I leave. I call my mom because she's technically my boss. And I go, listen, I go, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm done. I'm not working here. It's freaking me out. There's this balloon that's like chasing me out of the building. I'm not doing it. And so she just kind of like laughs it off. She asks the pastor about it. They say that like sometimes balloons get caught in the rafters and then they fall down. But the rafters are in the sanctuary, which are all the way in this huge room. They'd have to fall down, go through two sets of doors, down a 75-foot hallway into the main room where I was in order to get to me. It just seems very implausible. And there's some other weird stuff about the church. Like, I've never really felt creeped out either. Like, I don't feel like there's a ghost there. I don't feel like there's demons there. Like, I don't know what it was. 
but like there's always bugs everywhere like there's dozens upon dozens of dead bees in this one particular closet and then they'll be like throughout the building at certain times of the year uh and then there are flies all the time especially in the sanctuary where i'm talking like exorcist horror movie levels of dead flies where i'm sweeping the sanctuary and i'll have to vacuum up like 30 to 50 dead flies They've brought in exterminators and stuff. That's one of the things that my mom handles. She's part of like their daily operation management type stuff. So she called in an exterminator and they basically said like they don't really know what to tell them because they can't find like the issue. Like they're just there. So I just thought that that was weird. I always joke with my mom that it's like I always tell her it's the exorcist church and stuff. I don't get any weird feelings there. Uh, I'm a religious person, so I do believe in like, you know, God, the devil, demons and things like that. And I don't get any demonic vibes. I'm never really afraid while I'm there. But that particular night uh, really freaked me out between the book falling you know, knowing about the bugs in general and then this balloon flying out. I did not end up quitting my job. I was listening to the podcast while I was working there and I'm on my way home from there now. But yeah, it was just another thing that popped into my head that while I was listening that, you know, jogged my memory. So hopefully you can share this story. Uh, I really like the show. It's great. I'm working through season one now after I had just been listening to some of your newer stuff as well. So I decided to start from the beginning and keep going. So keep up the great work. Uh, I really love the show. And, uh, Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Jesse. When I was in college, I was a member of a national fraternity. And as part of the program, we did a lot of charity work. And because of that charity work, we had a good relationship with a church in our small town. And as part of this relationship, the church allowed us to conduct rituals after hours. Now, for those unfamiliar, the ritual was Christian-based. Lots of talking, candles maybe a robe. Nothing crazy here. Anyway, these rituals would last hours with different breaks throughout. So on these breaks, we would take turns wandering the church and sort of exploring different areas. And we never reached levels of creepiness that Jesse was witness to. But there was no denying that the place had a super weird feeling. So perhaps there's something about these places of worship that stores energy. It's obvious that something strange is going on in these places. Thanks again, Jesse. Tonight's episode is brought to you by the new Audible original, Impact Winter. From the executive producers of The Walking Dead and the writer of Pacific Rim comes a new original saga created just for Audible, Impact Winter. Impact Winter is presented in immersive 3D audio that dares you to pop in your earbuds and listen in the dark. In the near future, a comet hits the Earth and blots out the sun. Beastly creatures emerge in a sunless world, and they just might be vampires. In Impact Winter, you follow the story of two sisters, Darcy, who is a battle-tested vampire hunter trying to save the world and Hope, who is desperate for life to be normal again. I think we can all relate to that. Listen as a brave few fight to survive the impact of winter and strive to live again. Visit audible.com forward slash survive to listen to Impact Winter now. Again, that's audible.com forward slash survive. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. Now back to those terrifying tales. 
So as another testament to the weirdness of an empty church, please welcome Vince from New York to the program. Hi, Derek. My name is Vince, and I'm calling from Depew, New York, just out of Buffalo. And I'm calling about uh, some spirit activity that I witnessed maybe about two years ago. My son and I are involved in scouts, and we have our meetings in the basement of a church which was constructed in the late 1890s. And every year, we try to have a camp out in the basement of the church, our meeting room, just uh, so that the boys can get together and goof around and not do any real scout stuff, build up uh, camaraderie uh, between the troop. Well, this one night, we are finishing up our our meeting, our camp out, it's lights out, time for everybody to go to bed. Everybody's set up in their spots with their bunks, their cots, their sleeping bags and stuff. And we're all locked in, myself, and the other two scout leaders are the last ones to go to sleep just to make sure you know nobody's getting up and moving around well once one leader goes to sleep the other one got goes to sleep on the last one up and i laid down and then i hear what sounds like knocking from the door to the outside and immediately perk up like what is what is what's this what's going on i never happened before I wait a little bit, and then it happens again. Here's some knocking. And I wait, and I wait, like, is somebody outside? I don't know. Well, a couple minutes pass. I go to sleep. Wake up in the morning. We're all cleaning up, and everybody's clearing their stuff out. We're heading back home. And I tell my son what I heard that night before. And he says to me that he heard it too. But he heard what it sounded like somebody coming downstairs. Now, the door had been locked. That, that's a given. Nobody was coming in or out. And when he woke up, the stuff which was at the foot of where he was sleeping had been moved to the other side of the room. He doesn't know how. Well, we keep this to ourselves, you know, a little, little strange, not thinking much about it. But then about a year later, just casually talking over with the other leader that was with us that night, and tell him that uh, I heard these knocks and he looked at me straight and said he heard it too so we haven't heard anything since or had any experiences since that time but you know the next time that we uh, go to have a camp out in the basement of the church uh, I think we're gonna be a little more on edge to see if anything uh, happens I'm thinking it was just like a little playful spirit but you know I, I never want to cross that line. Right. Thank you, Derek. Bye. Thanks, Vince. Now, if I'm honest, it sounds like the perfect opportunity for a ghost hunting badge. In all seriousness, though, if the kids are hip to the activity, take some equipment with you next time. A trail camera, audio recorder, thermometer, video camera, or just a cell phone. Something tells me most of the kids will really enjoy the experience, says the guy with no children. Anyway, it's great stuff, Fence, so thank you again for calling it in. Now I hear this all the time. I can't get enough of Monsters Among Us. What did you know that you can get 55 plus episodes and tons of bonus content 
all for just $4 a month over at patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. And just this week, I released the latest Rewind. That's where a guest and I dive into some of the best calls from past seasons. And on this latest episode, I was joined by Brent Hand and David Flora of Hysteria 51 podcast. We discussed Bigfoot, the Jersey Devil, and David's new role as Hysteria 51 co-host. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. Okay, here's a weird one. Cole from Mississippi. Welcome to the program. Hi, Derek. This is Cole from Mississippi. Uh, calling in regards to your clergy stories. In 1985 or 1986, we took a family vacation to uh, California and Mexico, just make a big loop of it for 10 days. And out in California, we drove through Death Valley. And uh, on our drive through there one day, it was hot, sun was shining, but it got so hot that it actually started to hail, like big, nice sized pieces of hail. And we looked, uh, we we're a pretty religious family, and we kept looking out the windows. And every vehicle around ours was getting just bombarded with hail and all types of hail damage. Well, the storm passes and we get out. And after everybody had been praying, we get out of the vehicle and our vehicle had no damage whatsoever. My mom, she was a big photography freak and she had her camera with millions of rolls of 35 millimeter film. And we got back, we thought it was just, you know, everybody was like praising God, thanking God, keeping his hands on us. We get back and we get our pictures developed and all the film rolls were fine except for the pictures from death valley and our little trip through there and our uh, hail incident we got to looking at the pictures and there were little white dots on those pictures like all over the pictures of the, the hail damage and the hail storm going outside there were white dots all over these pictures not of uh, any other picture on the roll just pictures of the uh the death valley hail pictures she showed them to a uh, preacher who is privy to, and say privy to, keen on the spiritual and supernatural. And he said those white dots were guardian angels keeping their hands on our vehicle and keeping their hands on us. And I don't know any other way to explain it because every vehicle, there were probably 15 or 20 vehicles there. And it was in July, so it was hot. But every vehicle there had hail damage except ours. I love your show. That's it. Uh, hopefully you can use this story. I listen to every episode and I'm Subscribe to your YouTube channel, Paraweekly. You guys keep up the good work. Favorite podcast out there. Have a good one. Thanks, Cole. I've been meaning to make my way up to Death Valley. It's only a few hours away from here, and I've never been. Now, these are some interesting claims, and I'd love to see those images you mentioned, Cole. If you don't mind sending them in. And that goes double for other calls that mention photographs this evening. And I guess anyone going forward, if there's a photograph, video, or audio connected to your story, please send it to me ahead of time so I can share it when I post the show. You can send all that in to monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com. So I guess stories like this and Larry's story earlier just go to show you not all strangeness needs to be scary. So thanks again, Cole, for calling in. Now next up, we venture to Connecticut, where Andy has our next tale of the clergy. Hello, yes, my name is Andy. I'm calling from Hartford, Connecticut. I just wanted to share a story of growing up 
in the Boston Mass area that happened to me. And this is for the religious clergy episode. So my father was a former Catholic priest. He left the church, married my mother. In, in the late 70s, um, you know, my family was very religious, and I saw the uh, Exorcist movie, and I, I was absolutely terrified by that movie. I'm 50 years old, so, you know, I was under 10 at the time. And our religion does believe in demonic possession. And so uh, around Christmas time in the late 70s, a friend of my father, he was a priest in Rome. He was visiting, and I had asked him about, you know, exorcisms, the movie, you know, is this real? And he told me a story. He said he was actually witness to an exorcism. He said a four-year-old boy was, you know, speaking in all these different languages. And he said the, the thing that really got him is he said, he said he was speaking in fluent Latin in a way that he's like, no one can speak Latin that well. And then, you know, some of my family members were like, well, how do you know it wasn't like a mental illness thing? Or, and I guess what he said that when it was speaking to him, the demon or whatever it was, he said it made a, a joke about his father's. His, his father had a limp, and I guess the, he was claiming the demon made some type of reference to that. And he said he said that just really, really upset him. And so that's how he knew, you know, this is, you know, he really felt that, you know, this child was possessed, you know, by some type of demon or entity. And the, and the funny thing is, after this, my mother was like, "Okay, it's time for bed." And I was like, "Okay, I am never going to sleep again." She was like so nonchalantly, I was like, you, "You hear a story like that." It's just like a time for bed. I ended up getting my rosary beads, Bible. I was so terrified after hearing the story that I actually filled the water gun up with holy water at one point. But hope you can share it. I absolutely love the show. It's just fantastic. I adore it. So thank you very much. Hope you can use the story. Take care. Thank you, Andy. Another exorcism story. And like Katie's earlier, it sounds like Andy might be a little bit skeptical of what he's being told. So in the interest of hearing both sides of this story, we've already heard from the exorcist. So how about a skeptic? The voice you're about to hear is Dr. Michael Shermers, scientist, psychiatrist, and publisher of Skeptic Magazine. So the church has these, uh, you know, sort of list of criteria for what would constitute a possession. Speaking in tongues, glossolalia, is one of them. Spouting off this sort of sequence of syllables and just, you know, it sounds nonsensical and then somebody interprets it. Now we know because uh, we've had linguists analyze recordings of what is being said. And they say this is not a language. It's just babble. You know, it, it's literally a psychodrama. The music, the chanting, the dancing, the singing, and all that, it gets you caught up into it. It's like a rave. You feel the emotions. You feel the brain chemistry changing, the hormones pumping through your body. Uh, the contorted uh, body postures and the writhing on the ground, the utterances, it's just imitation. Uh, I've actually gone up to one of these, and I can almost feel like, okay, here I go. I can almost feel it coming on. Like, and I wasn't even a believer. This is imitation. It's role-playing. In addition to these exorcisms being nonsensical from a scientific perspective, they're also dangerous. There have been people killed, suffocated, tortured. It's not a harmless exercise in entertainment. It's potentially very dangerous. That clip courtesy of Vice and at least in my opinion, makes a lot of sense. The human brain is a powerful machine, but even sharp minds can be convinced of an unreal reality. But, and there's always a but when it comes to the paranormal, what's the deal with the quote-unquote demon knowing about the father's limp? That's a detail that's hard to ignore, 
And as it is with much of the paranormal, it's very difficult to close any door when there's even an ounce of possibility out there. And it's certainly spooky stuff, Andy. And we thank you so much for sharing it. So, you might be thinking we're nearing the end of these spiritual stories. That's where you'd be wrong. Jeff, in Illinois. Let's keep the entries flowing. Hi, Derek. This is Jeff. I'm calling from Illinois. This is uh, in regards to the clergy episode. You know, I never thought that this was a supernatural situation until you kind of brought it up as far as a miracle. A woman that I used to know, she was the associate pastor's wife at a church we attended about 30 years ago. She had told me this story, and at the time, I didn't realize how well-known it was. So I can tell you her name, too. I mean, it's all over the Internet. I'm not going to say it now, but if you want to hear it, you can bring it up later. People can cross-reference it if they want. But uh, her story is that she was had had multiple sclerosis, and she'd been battling it for about 15 years. She was in hospice, and she was single at the time, and this is before she got married to the associate pastor. So she was on her deathbed, and they had done like a public prayer over a radio station for her, a religious radio station. So at the time, she also had had people there praying with her, and they were reading different greeting cards to her, people who had written to her and and were wishing her well. And just to give you an idea where this lady was at, like I said, she was in hospice. She was almost blind. She had a tracheotomy, and so she needed help breathing. She had a tube in her stomach. Her arms were curled into her body from the muscles being atrophied. Her feet had curled back towards her shins. And I mentioned that the ladies, she had a couple ladies that were over. She lived with her parents at the time. And the ladies were over, you know, praying with her and reading cards to her. And um, all of a sudden she says she heard a voice say, my child, get up and walk. And she said it kind of came from the corner of the room, though she couldn't see anything. And, you know, she believes, I I guess I believe that too. I I don't want to make it sound like, oh, she believes, but... uh, Yeah, no, I believe it too. She believes it was Jesus. And so instantaneously, she pulls the tube out, stands up, and, you know, I had mentioned that her muscles were atrophied. There was no way for her to stand up on her own at all. And instantaneously, everything was healed. Her calves were restored. Her muscles were restored. She could breathe on her own. She could see. And so she stands up, pulls the tube out, and says, go get my parents. And just to give you an idea, so... She had told me that this also had run on the 80s show, That's Incredible. And I tried to reference it on YouTube, and I couldn't find anything that referenced that. But like I said, her miracle is, is pretty well documented. It's, it's out there. And, but uh, that's my story. So, okay, thanks. Bye. Thanks, Jeff. You got me. I even did some research, and I was not able to suss out this woman's name. So like those with photos, if you want to send me the information, I'll happily share it. Given that she was on a national television program, I doubt she would mind. And speaking of, I'm sure there's a clip from that television program out there somewhere. And if I ever find it, I'll be sure to post it up here. 
And thanks again, Jeff, for sharing your entry. And now we've reached the end. But before we continue, I'd like to thank all of you that shared entries this evening. These themed episodes are always a lot of fun. And if you called in with a story you thought belonged here and it didn't get played, I most likely didn't find it. But don't worry, it'll be played on an episode later on. Now, to wrap us all up here, we venture to the center of the country, the plains of Kansas, where Susan has a story for us. Hello, Derek and Monsters Among Us listeners. Uh, My name is Susan, and I have a story for the clergy special episode. However, I must say that I am not someone who works in a church, but my experience has to do with a church from my childhood. So I'll start by saying that I grew up in Northeast Kansas, a small town by the name of Morrill. Population was barely 200 people. And the one thing that you can find in small towns consecutively would be churches. Uh, Morrill had four churches when I lived there back 20 years ago. And I can still remember this incident like it was just yesterday. So for some background, I lived at the end of a dead-end road. And from that road... I could look up and a block away there was a church. And I remember one hot summer night, I believe it was like a school was going to be starting up soon, so maybe kind of late summer. I was laying in bed and it was really hot because we didn't have air conditioner and I was just kind of mindlessly looking out my bedroom window. And when I looked out the window, I could actually see the church from my window. As I laid there, my eyes fixed on the church. I laid eyes on something that I still, to this day, I can't explain. And it's been 20 years ago, like I said previously, and it still freaks me out to this day. I watched a completely white silhouette walk from one set of windows on the side of the church to the other side until it disappeared. Now, what this white silhouette looked like, it was completely like it was the whitest white I've ever seen it was the brightest light I've ever seen and I've never been able to find anything quite like that color before and so I do want to explain with this church these windows were stained glass windows and so there was no way that that silhouette could have looked as white as it did while it was from one side of the windows to the other side of the windows when I did see this, I instantly felt immense fear. It it just felt wrong somehow. It was terrifying. The silhouette, I remember it had like a cloaked robe look thing. So you could kind of see a face, but you could see it it had a huge hood. And then it put its hands out in front of it and kind of like had the hands together in front of their chest like they were carrying something very gingerly, like maybe a candle or something that's very breakable, but the both of their hands were together making like a cup and walking and it went from one side to the other. Now, what really gets me is how terrified I was. I was instantly sickened with fear. You know that feeling when you're super scared and it feels like there's pins and needles on your skin and you feel like you could literally like just jump out of your body? It was that jarring of a sensation for me. And I know that I was not asleep because I threw my pillows over my head and then covered myself up with all my blankets and I rolled over 
And I curled up in the fetal position, and I stayed in that position all night long. As I'm laying there, I'm trying to rationalize, my brain is trying to rationalize what I've seen. And so I initially think, well, you know, there's no way, like I said, it could have been that white with the stained glass windows. So instantly I started looking for other explanations. So then I was like, okay, well, what if it was like a light of a figure being projected onto the outside of the church? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it could have been that. It could have been that. But then I realized, well, I could only see it from like the waist up right where the end of the window ledge would have cut somebody off walking there. So I was like, well, then that threw that one out. So as I'm laying there in bed, I'm just trying really hard to try to make sense of it. To this day, I still can't figure out what it could have been. There was one point in my life I remember thinking, okay, you know, maybe this is like a God or Jesus or, you know, an angel. And this is such a, supposed to be such a lucky, wonderful, great, holy experience. And like, I'm super lucky, but I couldn't swallow that pill because even though I grew up around religious family and friends, I wasn't really one to partake in everything that I believed and that others had believed. And my thought was, if this was such a good, holy, pure thing, why would I be this terrified? I'm like, like I said, it just felt so so wrong and I can't I can't even begin to explain how terrified I was now to kind of explain some of the terror that I went through I constantly was trying to rearrange my room so this is kind of blends into another story but I was having an issue with what I would come to learn later on in life was a hat man and I was really getting tired of seeing this so my family had a flight of stairs and a landing and then a few more stairs before it went off to all the bedrooms and I had my bed laying where I could see out and down to this landing and there was always a figure there and it freaked me out so I had moved my bed over by to the window and then when I had that experience I had rather see the hat man every single day of my the rest of my life growing up there than ever have to ever see the white entity that I saw in that church again. So I actually the very next day moved my bed back over to the other position because I, like I said, I would much rather have that experience of seeing that dark entity. So I'll have to call back and talk more about that story because that's a whole nother one. But yes, that's my story. I hope you can use it. Keep up the great work. I, I love the platform you have. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Susan. That is quite the experience, and I can clearly sense that this event has taken its toll on Susan. And I can't help but share her sentiment if this was some sort of divine experience. Why the sense of fear? But above all, a call from Kansas about a potential haunted church does one thing to my brain. It makes me think of the infamous Stahl Cemetery and what used to be the church that sat adjacent, or as they're now known around the Sunflower State, as a portal to hell itself. Widely known as the most evil cemetery in the world, it's rumored that Pope John Paul II actually altered his private flight to avoid traveling over these befouled grounds. In the center of the cemetery, an old tree can be found and was once used to hang those accused of witchcraft. One can also find a grave with the inscription, Wittich, though many speculations have been made on its origin. The most famous location at Stull was the Old Church, before it collapsed. 
Though no longer there, the area where it stood is believed to be the most active. Evidence around that area has led researchers to conclude that much witchcraft and black magic was practiced here throughout the years. The most disturbing rumor surrounding the old church grounds is that the area is an actual gateway to hell, and twice a year, on the spring equinox and Halloween, Lucifer can use it to cross between worlds. This may sound like the stuff of fairy tales, and we'd think so too, if not for the multiple eyewitness accounts recorded from the 1800s, all depicting in great detail the birth of the son of Lucifer within the cemetery. It was said the child was born growling and covered in wolves fur. Now that clip courtesy of the speakeasy on YouTube. Now before you think, well, I'm headed to stall, I want to check all this out. You might just want to hear what this old-timer has to say about the place. Courtesy of WNBC, ABC News 9 out of Kansas City. And you see, it was granite. The repeated desecration of his family's graves is all because of an urban legend. And local historian Paul Bonmeyer tells me... It's just absolutely lies. Counter to urban legend, you won't find the devil here at Stoll Cemetery, but trespassers will likely find Douglas County Sheriff's deputies with patrols, lighting, and barriers to keep the cemetery safe. To desecrate their graves is, is morally wrong. Bonmeyer points to this memorial honoring veterans. And the Hawks. Where are the Hawks? Some Union soldiers. Some buried at Stoll. Nearly 500 souls rest there. And they're not devil worshipers. That includes his uncle. My dad is here and my grandfather's here. Who died in a fire as a child. His grave is often a target. Can you imagine the agony that mother felt when she buried her son that day and then X number of years later when we were over there, there were beer cans on the grave. And this is not what tourism is about. So there you go. Urban explore at your own risk. But if you do, please be respectful. I can promise you this much. One day you too will be dead. And hopefully future generations will show the same courtesy that you did. So I don't know, Susan. Maybe there's a logical explanation to what you saw. Or maybe there's something strange in the water in Kansas. Thanks again for sending that one in. And that's going to do it for this episode. Another huge thanks to all those that contributed, and an even bigger thank you for tuning in. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you like the show, please find a way to rate and review. Five stars and a few kind words go a long, long way to keep the show going and keep the calls flowing. If you enjoy what you hear, check us out on social media. We have accounts at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, the terrifying score you heard this evening was Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey and white bad audio thank you so much for listening until next time
Now then, tonight's secret entry is certainly chill-inducing. To round this episode out, please welcome our anonymous caller from the state of Montana. Hey, Mr. Hayes, I'm calling you in regard to the uh, clergy people episode. I didn't have this story when you first announced you were doing this episode, but something actually has happened in the last couple of weeks that I thought was worth sharing. So I'm going to remain anonymous, I think, just because I'm in Montana, and the church world in Montana is surprisingly small. We only have one million people in the whole state, as big as it is, so a lot more people know each other than you'd think. So at any rate, I'm a Christian minister in Montana, and my older brother is as well, actually. So this, this involves both of us, so I thought the story was, was fitting. But uh, he and I were deer hunting recently, and uh, I'll just say north-central Montana. That's the broad region where we were deer hunting. We have permission on uh, the land of a family friend out there. And this is his absolute middle of nowhere. I know a lot of people claim to be in the middle of nowhere. A lot of them are, but I just I encourage people to look at north-central Montana, maybe on Google Earth or something like that. It's pretty sparsely populated. A lot of farms and a lot of cattle and wheat and barley, that sort of thing. So... We're hunting on private land, and we came across an old homestead. We learned later from the landowner that the original cabin there was built actually in the 1850s, which is very old by Montana standards. Most people came out in the in the Homestead Acts, 1909, thereabouts. So the cabin was very old, but next to it, there was a house that was slightly newer. We guessed built around the 1920s. And the house was open, and so we went into the house, and we had full permission of the landowner to explore the place. We weren't doing anything wrong. And clearly no one had lived there in years. And so we went into the house and uh, immediately were, were terribly creeped out. And the reason is it wasn't cleared out. It wasn't empty. There was a lot of stuff in the house. Probably half of the furniture was still there, although most of the windows were boarded up. So it was kind of, it was kind of a weird situation. There were unsent Christmas cards still on the kitchen table. And we finally found a calendar in the kitchen that was set to December 1964. So no one had been in there in quite a while. We found a newspaper in the living room, same date. It was December 12th, 1964. Yet the bed in the living room on the ground floor was made. I mean, so there were linens on the bed. Again, just a, just a generally creepy situation. The cupboards were stocked with Tupperware, with plates, etc. The china cabinet was stocked. Just, just, just again, just an odd situation. This is nowhere near a main road at all. I mean, we were quite a ways back there. So at any rate, we're generally creeped out, but nothing strange had happened. We leave the house and we're gone maybe a minute and a half before my brother realizes, oh, shoot, I I left something in there. He left our shooting sticks in there. There are these quick pop-up tripod if you need to take a standing shot at a deer sort of sort of thing. Left, We left our shooting sticks in there. Let's go back and get them. We're out of the house, maybe a minute and a half total. We go back in the house and I'm standing in the kitchen by the back door. And my brother goes back in to the dining room, finds the shooting sticks. Okay, we're good to go. I go to leave the house out the back door, and my brother says, hey, did you do this? And I turn around, and I look at what he's looking at. There's a set of cabinets right there at eye level that that we had already investigated. I mean, we didn't mess with anything. We didn't touch anything. We just browsed around the house and, and looked at stuff. So here's this eye level cabinet that's open that we had already looked through. And right there, right in front of us at eye level was a very, very odd sight. This house had been collecting dust since 1964, like I said, and yet right there on the first shelf, there is a perfect circle. It looked as if someone had lifted a plate off of there. In other words, there's a, there's a plate-sized circle with no dust in it at all. 
he said, did you move a plate? I said, no, did you? No, no, no. Now, and, and here's the creepy part. In the middle of the circle with no dust, a large kitchen knife has been stabbed into the circle and left there. And we definitely would have noticed that the first time around. And, and it was not there. I'm telling you, it was not there. It had happened since we left the house. We absolutely would have noticed that. We had already looked through that cabinet. So we snapped a quick photo, which I can send to you if you'd like, and got out of there as quickly as we could. And the only two options I can think of, I, I don't know if I default toward something spiritual going on, some sort of something demonic going on. I mean, certainly we've dealt with stuff like that as ministers. Or the other option, which is just as, if not more creepy, someone was in that house and, uh, you know, evaded us while we were walking around and did that in the minute and a half that we weren't there. This knife stabbed into this circle was not there. The first time we walked through the house, my brother and I can both vouch for that. We had looked through these cabinets and the thought of someone being in that house absolutely spooks us out. We're still talking about it on the phone probably a couple times per week, trying to roll it over in our minds and what, you know, what could have happened. So again, yeah, our, our big our big talking points on this story was how isolated this place was. I mean, we're miles from any major road and we're still pretty far from any dirt road. So the thought of a hermit being out there, is, it just absolutely baffles me. So again, there's our story. I encourage anybody else uh, in Montana to call in. Montanans were not very well represented on this show and I know you've got spooky stories. There's lots of weirdness going on out here. So anyway, Love the podcast like everybody else. Thanks so much for what uh, you're doing, Derek. And uh, I'll call again sometime with another story. See ya. Thank you, sir. I told you it was creepy. And if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. The living are much more terrifying than the dead. And judging by what our caller found, whomever was there certainly got his or her message across. I certainly hope to hear any updates of our caller ever makes it back to the home. Either way, thanks again, caller, for sharing. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night. <laughs>